c'est vrai. Je suis un ananas. Now, in the uh, towers of uh, Edmonton... I'm not a Tory. I don't speak on both sides. I do not use crack cocaine, nor am I an addict of crack cocaine. Welcome back to another episode of Fat, French, and Fabulous. I am, as always, Jessica. And I am, as always, Janelle. And today we have a very exciting episode on Han van Mechelen, a famous art forger from the 1940s. And I am not going to say that name even once, this podcast. Nope. No, no, no. It's just a sound. Just You can just call him Han. Honey boy. Hansi. You, or you, you can even just call him Hank or Henry. It's just like an H and then the sound of a cat coughing up a hairball Mm. made out of your socks. (laughs) Han. And and that's Mehren, M-E-E-G-E-R-E-N. She says, like, that makes it better somehow? (laughs) It's not better. It's the exact same. It's just, no. Yeah, Dutch Dutch is a language that you can use to summon demons. Ah, beautiful, beautiful tongue. <laughs> You're just reciting a chocolate chip cookie recipe, and then all of a sudden there's a fucking demon right in the middle of your kitchen. And you're like, God damn it, <sighs> we talked about this. Speculos is seriously the name of an elder lich. It is. That I could kind of see. It has sort of a hold on me. <laughs> I'm just I'm just eating barrels and barrels of cheese while I sit here. Just so I can really get into the get into the feeling the feeling of that name <laughs> is that what the dutch do they just sit around and eat cheese no i'm just it's, it's, it's just a, a phlegmy tongue oh it's God. a phlegmy phlegmy language oh i didn't i didn't need the biology of that <laughs> of the way that dairy affects you i don't mm. it seems like one of those things that you just like don't talk about in polite conversation like politics <laughs> religion, the effect that dairy products have on your body. It's just no. I, I know for a fact that you, you you do all of our recordings with a glass of water at your side. They do. Uh, I, on the, I, on the other hand, usually have soda because that's a good idea. And today I have a pint of key lime sherbet. <laughs> well, we'll see whose teeth last longer. <laughs> I do. I, I bet you actually know which glass I have next to me too. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's I brought it from. Is it one of your Game of Thrones ones? It's not actually. It's the one I always use ah. in Edmonton. I stole it. <laughs> it's my giant Starbucks pail. Yeah, yeah. You usually gave me the. You usually gave me the the the, the Game of Thrones ones. Yes, I did. Yeah. This is my yeah. Starbucks pail. It's not mine. It's it was like in the apartment when I moved in. When I lived mm. in Edmonton, I moved into this um pre-furnished apartment that came with like literally everything like <laughs> it, it said furnished in the ad but then when we got there like it had plates and spoons and like it didn't have any cups it had only wine glasses and this giant starbucks mug which is now mine yeah, um so an extremely broad definition of furniture it had toilet paper and fucking wow. yeah there was toilet paper and paper towels and cleaning supplies i think the person who lived there before me might have just died suddenly and they just gave me all his shit i'm not sure that it was supposed to come this furnished it's it's is deeply ambiguous suspiciously well furnished like somebody had Mm. just you know been there just last week and just Just like the day before we're just confident that he's never coming back (laughs) now i have his mug he won't need this anymore (laughs) well he's not gonna need this mug it's mine now Mm. 
Hope he doesn't. Hope. Hope he didn't need it for anything. It's like a uh, comedically large. He's like, not getting it back. Yeah, it's like a one liter Starbucks coffee cup, <laughs> and it says, "Careful, the beverage you're about to enjoy is extremely hot on it," which mm. I don't think so. It's ice water. Probably not. Yeah, I, I hope genuinely hope you're not just drinking scalding hot water while you do this podcast. You are eating an entire canister, whatever the fuck, sherbet comes in. No, it's not. You're eating a whole thing of sherbet. I'm not eating a whole thing of sherbet. Actually, I'm kind of disappointed. I bought this, like, I bought a liter of sherbet uh, when I got back into Vancouver. And then I opened it up for the first time today. And I found out there was only, like, an inch of it left at the bottom of the bottom of the carton. Which either means that my roommate ate it, in which case, fine, we have... We have an understanding. With we have each a other. mutual sherbet understanding. We have a mutual sherbet understanding. Uh, but if it was you, Aaron, I'm coming for you. This is now a podcast of history, mysteries, and threats. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of threats. Aaron, Aaron is a good friend who likes to come over to our apartment and eat all my food. <laughs> Good friend or vermin? I, I don't. Those are different things. Sometimes, those words sometimes are different. we live in we live in shades of gray. Is Aaron a human or is he just a, a actual rat? Uh, well, he's very human shaped, but I have put traps out. <laughs> I just can imagine you with just this poster sized glue trap in your kitchen. <laughs> Oh, I worry about you, Ish. Sometimes he comes over for, like, just to hang out, and then he just doesn't leave for two days. It's great. (laughs) I think you might have a homeless person (laughs) squatting in your house. Oh, sometimes I feel like asking them that. I'm just like, like, he's like, like, okay, stay over. I'm like, again? I mean, like, sure, but, like, are you okay? Is everything okay at home? (laughs) Are you all right? many friends. I don't have too many friends where I'm like, I wonder if this is an actual homeless person. Mm. Like, do you have a house? Like, you, things aren't going well if your friends wonder if you might be actu- an actual vagabond. He tells me he has a mother, but I've never seen any evidence of this. Not in his clothes, not in the fact that he's not fed, and, you know, not in his general air of emotional well-being. No, no. He just doesn't seem mothered. Yeah. Allegedly, he was raised by a human woman, but I'm not sure I believe it. There's a lot of people in my life that claim the same, but mm. I have doubts. Yeah, uh. Top of the list is you. <laughs> you have aired that concern many a time. <laughs> and I still don't believe it. I think you may have been raised in a cult where, like, mother was a rotating title that cult members took turns having. <laughs> mother is all. Yeah, I, I don't believe there's an actual... If I hadn't met your mother and realized that she is an actual copy of you, your mother's just making Xeroxes of herself and raising them as her own. Have you met my but mom? I have. She brought me popsicles once. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In a parking okay. lot. Yeah. Huh. But if I hadn't met her and if she hadn't physically handed me a popsicle on a hot summer day, <laughs> I would fully believe that you just emerged from the ground fully formed. <laughs> That I was just created from whole cloths and by some sort of withered wizard spell. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You just you were sea foam, and now you're Jessica, and nobody knows what happened. Mm-mm. Anyway, getting to our getting to our main topic. Han oh van, yeah, that yeah that. Uh, Han van Mechelen, <laughs> Honey Boy, 
is probably the most famous art forger to ever live and something of a Dutch folk hero. He was born in 1889 to a pair of teachers in the Netherlands. He became interested in art at an early age, but this was not an interest that his family fostered. His father, in fact, actively discouraged him from becoming a painter and pushed him to become an architect instead. I just want to say, like, if you're a famous art forger, aren't you by definition bad at it? If people know that you exist, haven't you fucked up already? See, that's a funny story, because Han van Meheren would have probably never been caught if it hadn't been for the Nazi regime and the outbreak of World War II. But we will be oh, getting to that Oh, this is going to be a fun story. Well, this is fun. I look forward to it. very fun. Uh, when Han, little Han, was caught painting, uh, his father made him write a caught painting. Yes, That's so sad. <laughs> I mean, he's like, just like we all remember that day. You know, our parents caught us painting, and I was gonna like they're like Han, what are you doing in there? And he's just like I'm, I'm masturbating. Don't come in here, <laughs> mom. I'm busy jerking off. Leave me alone. <laughs> they just come in and he's painting. <laughs> I'm deeply disappointed in you, son. <laughs> That's a healthy household. That's a recipe for a healthy, well-adjusted young we man. We just want better for you. Uh, so his father would make him write out a particular phrase a hundred times. Uh, ik ben niets, ik weet niets, ik kan niets. Which means, I am nothing, I know nothing, I can do nothing. My guess would have been, I am garbage, but you know, I was actually pretty close. Paraphrasing, paraphrasing. Translation, so, <laughs> translation is an art, more than a science. So like, you know, in some households, if you mess up, they ground you. In some households, you have timeouts. So in his house, if you, um, I guess, express childlike joy, they psychologically break you? Yeah. They, is they, the punishment? Instead of getting extra chores, you must submit to complete negation of the ego. <laughs> yeah, you get PTSD. That's what you get. That's your reward. You know, Han, did you take that cookie? Well, you know what that means. Complete existential negation of the self. A hundred times on the blackboard, young man. <laughs> I will die someday and no one will remember me. A thousand times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, young Han van Mecheren did, however, find a mentor in a teacher. Bartus Korteling a fan of the old Dutch masters. In particular, These Jan are some Vermeer. fucking names. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is getting very hot <laughs> episode. This is why I have the glass of water. You understand this. Yes. More guttural! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just gonna call him Painty Boy. <laughs> Karteling taught uh, Van Mechren the methods and materials of Vermeer used to manufacture his paints. Uh, Korteling loved the Dutch Golden Age and saw contemporary modernist art styles like Impressionism and Cuban Cubism as degenerate. I would like Cubanism as an art style. I think that would be kind of fun. It's just paintings of Cuba. It sounds it sounds very fun and a, a, a lot like living under a dictatorship. And then it's just like paintings of the scorched crater that the earth would have become if the Cuban Missile Crisis had gone another way. <laughs> Yeah. Wrong I, era of history, though. Wrong era of history. I, I once went to Cuba when I was, I think I was 12 years old. It's a lovely place, but it was still under Castro at the time, so it was a little, it was a little, little awkward. Isn't it fun to be Canadian? We can just go oh, yeah, to Cuba forever? You can just, you like, can just show up. Walk up and down the beach and just, like, wave to the, uh, the armed, the armed guard with a machine gun who marks out where, like, tourists are not allowed to go. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a comforting figure. 
I'm going to be that in New York. I'm just going to stand on the end of my city block and just throw things at people who look like they don't belong. <laughs> Outsider. Out. This is my laundromat. <laughs> my street of questionable restaurants. Every <laughs> it's a full street of restaurants with B sanitation ratings, which is not, not what you want. So get get the fuck away. Yeah, usually usually a B is not considered the uh, the height of heights. <laughs> The gold standard. <laughs> it is decidedly the silver standard. It means at least one thing in the kitchen is cleaned by the chef spitting into his sleeve and just kind of rubbing it. <laughs> That's B. You don't want to know what a C is. <laughs> they just light the place on fire. Yeah, you're not ready for a C. Is that what happened to the noodle place that exploded near Columbia? No, that place just exploded. <laughs> it was a completely hygiene-unrelated explosion. It was a wholesome explosion, but the bagel shop, like, a block from Columbia got shut down for sanitation violations because there's apparently just literally no attempt to keep rats out of the building. <laughs> at all. You gotta at least try. <laughs> oh, I'm still gonna eat there. You get a C for I, effort. I have so many student loans, I don't fucking care. Just, uh, if I die of a bagel-related death, I die happy. I mean, honestly, at this point, rat droppings are probably improving my nutrition. <laughs> Grad school. Woo! Uh, <laughs> I had chips for dinner. <laughs> uh, Van Meeren did end up studying architecture beginning in 1907, but never actually took the final exam. He switched to art in 1913, and he was good at it. Talented and highly technically skilled. Mm. Yeah, all had... those surreptitious late night painting sessions. Yeah, yeah. All, under all his the, covers. All that all that desperately desperately painting underneath the covers while his parents are at home. <laughs> there was like one of two roots for this guy. Tortured artist or like man who turns squirrels inside out in the woods. <laughs> the only two paths for this guy. <laughs> his parents would have probably been less disappointed with the second. <laughs> Oh, God. He obtained a minor position and taught at the Royal Academy of Art at The Hague and sold art commercially. Still lives, uh, Christmas cards, and such. Isn't it hilarious that, like, people used to be able to make a living teaching art part-time and also selling art? Isn't that weird? Hilarious. Hilarious. He didn't have four other jobs at various fast food locations? Uh, he also had quite a bit of success in the world of high art as a painter, receiving positive early reviews after a show featuring his original works in 1917. Hmm. So this is not that unusual. It requires quite a bit of skill and also some interest in the subject to be a true forger, not just somebody who passes off cheap junk as, <laughs> as art. So my, like, finger paint rendition of Starry Starry Night from the sixth grade is probably not going to cut it? Probably not, no. God damn it. Yeah. Although I'm sure <laughs> it was lovely. Or the version of Van Gogh's sunflowers that I was forced to paint with a potato for some reason. <laughs> God, I love public school. The potato is the height. The very height of artistic tools. I think, like, the teachers just got tired of us ruining paintbrushes year after year, so then they made us use art supplies that were things they could later distill into vodka. <laughs> the paint, the toxic paint just made it better. Mm, just, a, just a little bit of a hit to it. <laughs> just to drive those little bastards out of your mind. <laughs> you need, when you're, when you're a grade school teacher, you need a special kind of... You need you need you need a, a, an almost lethal form of sedation. 
Otherwise, you're just going to, like, load one of the little shits into your car, drive them to the top of a mountain, and just hurl them directly into the first active volcano you can find. Pele, grant me mercy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is why education is out. (laughs) That's that's a career for Jessica. Not for me. Not for me, no. Uh, We were actually discussing this earlier. Uh, I think think that I would be either the best or the absolute worst high school teacher most people have ever had. (laughs) Where you certainly remember more of my classes, but I also get kicked out (laughs) and (laughs) barred from the school district after about three weeks. (laughs) See, like, my only goal at this point in my career is to, like, get my PhD, go into, like, teaching university, get tenure. This is actually a really long plan. Um, But to get tenure and then to find out how many days in a row you can teach a university class wearing a Darth Vader voice-changing helmet... (laughs) Before they abolish the concept of tenure altogether, <laughs> I'm betting they let you're you go doing good, the like, Lord's work. Four to six months, I bet. I bet they give you that much. Oh, I bet you get a lot of rope to hang yourself with. I have a class right now. Like, at, I'm. I mean, I don't want to name names for this professor, but I have a class that's being partially taught by a ghost. Oh. It's always good to have a TA. Yeah, my professor, like, on the first day was, I thought she was kidding, but she's like, yeah, like, you know, my husband's ghost will be around and sort of keeping an eye on things. And I was like, okay, that's a strange joke. And then the projection screen started going up and down by itself. Um, And there was just, like, a series of thumps along the wall behind me. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's that's him there. I was like, oh. Good. Is so this a my, psych, is I, this a grad level psych class or a seance? This, this is a grad. I mean, it's both now. But mm. do I pay tuition just for her? Do I pay extra for the ghost? <laughs> if I have questions about the syllabus, do I email the TA or the ghost? <laughs> Does the it's ghost be, have office hours? <laughs> it's it's gonna be a really long semester. I feel like any hour is a ghost up. I mean, three in the morning traditionally. Yeah. If I just, like, yeah, if the I light candles hours, in yeah. a certain way, do I, is that how I access the office hours? Mm, mm, mm. Just an arrangement <laughs> of candles and some chanting? Maybe mm. some Dutch. Draw out a pentagram in blood and then and, and put the syllabus in the middle. <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's, a, it's an actual dead person. <laughs> I don't think psychologists go straight to hell after they die. <laughs> <laughs> they can only be summoned with pentagram. <laughs> The pentagram is not necessarily a Satanist a Satanist symbol. I don't I don't think Satan himself is a deceased Columbia psychology professor. I don't know. Maybe maybe your maybe your professor at Columbia, you know, just has a particular relationship with Lucifer, Lord of Darkness. I mean, her husband worked at the university. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's... are you saying that Satan can't hold tenure? <laughs> Anyone can hold tenure these days. I feel like Satan is more of a Yale kind of guy. Yeah, you know, on the face of it, I kind of buy that. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Van Mechen also began making and selling forgeries as a way of su- supplementing his income and supporting an otherwise unsustainably expensive lifestyle that included various addictions and adultery, which is what later led to his divorce oh. from his first wife. Well, that's a lot. That was a sentence that had mm-hmm. a lot of things in it. It was his income as a... He's living outside his means as a part-time art peddler? Yeah, it's pretty easy to do. I was gonna say, what kind of, like, lavish lifestyle... 
I mean, when they say lavish lifestyle for a painter, like, he expected to eat food every day? Is that... No, no, we're mostly talking opioids. Uh... Oh, good. <laughs> just just hookers and blow. <laughs> the great vice Basically. of all creatives. Basically. Including the creators of this podcast. That's just... I do very little blow. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a... That was not a complete or adequate defense. <laughs> that statement. <laughs> I've always been more of a meth person, you know? That was like the hardest you've ever laughed on this podcast, <laughs> and it was to the idea that you hire hookers. <laughs> and only do a little blow. <laughs> You're making it worse. This is you actively digging your own grave. <laughs> Can you imagine the poor, the poor prostitute, the poor working woman? Who got a call from me? Think it's called to your house? Oh, dear God. <laughs> the good news is, is that you can refer her to me for counseling afterwards. i just cleaning up your messes, no matter where I live. You're a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. The, 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 the sex workers of Vancouver, thank you. Oh, God. Notably, while Van Mechren's forgeries found buyers, they never managed to attract a firm expert consensus as to their authenticity. The well-respected 17th century art historian Dr. Abraham uh, Bredeusch was a notable skeptic. So he wasn't content with, like, fooling stupid rich people who wanted something fancy to hang in the bathroom. No, he, he wanted, wanted to, to fool all the way. He wanted experts. to fool everybody. He flew too close to the sun. Eh, arrogance is the downfall of us all. <laughs> I want to be in museums, damn it. Flying on wings of paint and blow. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure you've ever met a painter. They can't afford blow. I've eaten paint. That wasn't a defense. <laughs> <coughs> I mean, it made sense on several levels, but that was not a defense. <laughs> I have been around paint. I've ingested paint. I've even used paint. Am I a painter? Who knows? I feel like the first thing you do when you move to a new city is just go to the emergency room and introduce yourself. <laughs> Hi, my just name for is future. Jessica. Uh, I'll be here my, a lot. I'll be here a lot. My blood type is O negative, which means that if any of you want my blood, you can put it in you. Come you on. need to stop giving strangers your blood. I am so concerned. If you know anyone's following the life of Jessica and I we, we will be together in um two weeks two weeks three months three weeks three weeks ish February and yeah it's mid-February and I'm just so concerned that I'm gonna have to like keep you from trying to offer strangers in New York City your blood yeah you know usually, people in usually blood donation is considered like a morally worthy cause of people you know willing to do their part to help society but I just kind of like the idea of people walking around with my blood in them. Yeah, it's New York City, so people are still a little uh, wary of encountering strange blood. Encountering strange blood. Mm. That's, uh, you know, Canadian. the 80s. The 80s were rough, and people don't want strangers' blood. I mean, not strangers' blood, but technically, you could have my blood. You're Euro positive. That is true. I'm I do a not want your blood. Donor. I do not need your blood. Do not give me your blood. <laughs> Anyone who wants my blood, you let me know. Huh? I'm just going to open my fridge after you leave and just find Tupperware <laughs> with upsetting contents. 
my gift to you, my child. <laughs> oh, dear God. We're gonna find some. We're just gonna find some suspicious sausage. Mm, Blood we're sausage get from some, the old country. We're gonna get some messages about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's at I am not a lungfish. <laughs> we almost drove a listener off the road. Um, <laughs> In episode 21? Yeah, 21. Mm. Whoops. I made a joke about toddler cock rings and apparently somebody, a <laughs> friend of mine, was listening while driving and that was almost the end of that. <laughs> I'm glad so. he survived the experience. Another satisfied <laughs> I mean, customer. That's the real reason we'll never make it big. For every new we listener kill we get, people? we're just going to kill another, uh, kill an old one. <laughs> a lot of our listeners just drive straight into trees. <laughs> I think we're lucky just most of them are, most of them are urbanites who like to walk. <laughs> he just walked right into traffic. There was just, we don't know what happened. He just mm. didn't see it coming. He pulled his headphones out and just stepped right in front of the freeway. <laughs> Listener retention is hard, kids. Hmm. Van Mechren eventually attracted negative reviews from critics, more interested in the contemporary art he despised, who called his work derivative mimicry of the old masters. Basically, they Aww. said that for all his technical skill, he lacked originality, which is a rough criticism, but it's not all that harsh. I mean, it's like they're trying to make him into a forger. <laughs> if you want to take a brilliant... That's like the superhero origin story of a forger. Yeah, yeah. Like, this this is this is your start to darkness. It's, it's classic. <laughs> You're technically skilled, and you could make a lot of money by just making forgeries of the old masters. But also, you'll never be a real painter because you lack originality. All yeah. you can do is copy. Yeah, they're basically just tell... Like, they're basically just scripting out what happens next. Van Mechren could have done the rational thing, which was to keep a level head, remember that critics looking for the next great surrealist were never going to really appreciate his kind of thing, separate the wheat from the chaff in terms of what criticism he could use to improve his art without compromising on the heart of his artistic vision, and having a good cry with a bottle of Merlot. Ah, the artist's life. What he did instead was publish several angry screeds against his critics and the art world in general over the next two years between that's, 1928 that's and 1930, basically destroying all the goodwill he had among his critics and colleagues. I mean, that's how, like, several of my ex-boyfriends have reacted to being dumped. <laughs> Just years of angry screeds. It's not the most graceful exit. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, Van Mechren, feeling slighted and misunderstood, then decided that he would prove the critics wrong. That he was more than just a pale imitation of the old masters. That he could create a work to rival the best of the best at the height of their glory, and spent the next six years studying and perfecting the methods and the techniques necessary for the perfect forgery, crafting badger hair brushes and creating pigments from authentic materials such as cinnabar, lapis lazuli, and white lead. Notably, these materials had dropped out of favor among modern artists for a variety of reasons. I'm guessing most of them were, like, just excessively toxic? Yeah, so, like, to some extent due to relative expense and, like, difficulty of use, but to some extent due to the fact that many of them, notably lead and cinnabar, which contains mercury, are toxic. 
I feel like we mentioned this on this podcast like way more than you think we would for a mm. podcast, but lead's bad for you. Oh yeah, we talk about this. That lot, comes up a lot, a, a lot, like in most a lot. Because like I talk about history and you talk about criminality, and together with our powers combined, we are here to tell you: don't eat lead. Yeah, don't. I was actually reading. <laughs> I was reading. Um, I'm in a class this semester on like this, this is a mandatory class. Strangely enough, how to assess children and parents for. Uh, child protective cases which mm. is just a barrel of laughs just oh, I unbelievably del- cheerful a, a delight <clears throat> so i have to read these like actual redacted reports from when kids are apprehended from their families and i was reading one today it was just it was like the most bizarre thing i've ever read and it was you know obviously just end to end human horror mm. but at the end there was just sort of this like footnote and it was like father has like ingested large amounts of lead at his job at a metal sheet factory <laughs> not good <laughs> they just got, not good and they were like yeah father might possibly be permanently brain damaged due to large ingestion of lead mm. and they just kind of moved on they were like yeah and then here's what the father does for work now I'm like really we're just we're okay. just gonna. We're just gonna. We're just okay. gonna pass on. We're just gonna keep moving. Okay. So if you want to retain permanent custody of your child, yeah. Don't don't eat lead. Don't lick don't lick walls. Don't eat your paint chips. Don't do lead. If you work at a metal sheetwork factory, uh, don't quality test by taste. Don't lick the products. You can smoke, but just don't inhale. No, that's bad advice. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, so to fake the appearance of age in his works, uh, Van Bechren used a type of resin designed to set and solidify at a particular temperature known as bakelite. It's basically an early oh, synthetic don't we, plastic. We still, people used to make shit out of that in the 60s, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, all, all the time. It was super popular in the 60s, but it was developed quite a bit earlier. Oh, fun. Uh, Backlight is less common now, but tons of old plastic objects like phones, toys, jewelry, and kitchenware are made out of this stuff. I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure, yeah, my mom has an old Backlight phone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the old receiver kind? That stuff, like, if you ever saw an old receiver phone, that's Backlight. God, I wonder how young our audience is. Like, do we have to explain what a phone receiver is? (laughs) That you used to have to cradle this giant plastic banana-shaped object? Yeah. And it was plugged into a physical box basically i'm gonna say that if they're young enough that they do not remember hanging up phones like literally (laughs) physically hanging up phones they're probably young enough to google or whatever search (laughs) engine they happen to use duck duck go i don't really care uh just like old like old receiver telephone yeah, you, you couldn't sex your boyfriend back in the day. You mm-hmm. just had to talk dirty to him in the living room <laughs> while your assembled family pretended not to listen. <laughs> it was a simpler time. A better time. Uh, and, and, and plenty of modern doodads are made with Bacolite too, particularly billiard balls, chess pieces, and dominoes. Well, that's a hearty industry. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a, a, real, a real powerhouse of the economy. Uh, Puts food on the table mm. for thousands of families across America. <laughs> Thousand of family. Thousand. <laughs> Thousand. <of family. laughs> uh, it's also used for anything that needs to be durable, non-conductive, and heat-resistant, like brake pads in cars and a blade of heat shields. Uh, and really fucked up dildos. Mm, so fucked up. The ones that really need durability. 
Yeah. I actually don't know that that's true. Please do not shove bacolite into your orifices. It's probably body safe, actually. I have no idea but if it's, it's body safe. But it's also completely unnecessary to, to make a dildo out of bacolite. <laughs> I'm so glad you have just readily available knowledge on the chemical I... composition of dildos. <laughs> well, they're mostly made out of silicone. I don't know how many people would want to have, like, the, the material of billiard balls shoved up anywhere sensitive. <laughs> Please, if you do know this information, do not tell me. <laughs> it seems dishwasher safe, at the very least. That's mm. something you want in a sex toy, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I think. Yeah, I have no idea. This, this podcast is not driver-friendly. Please absolutely do not drive not. while you listen to us. I understand now. <laughs> I'm hearing it. Yep. Do not drive while listening to us discuss billiard ball dildos. <laughs> I just want something that goes in the dishwasher. Is that too much to ask? Honestly, right? I hate having to send my dildos to the dry cleaners. You know, what, you know what's very funny? Uh, whenever, whenever I say the words like, we don't know this, don't tell us if you do. We get a text. I always know that a certain listener who's very near and dear to my heart is it's going Seth. to It's goddamn me. Seth. It's fucking goddamn Seth. Goddamn Seth is gonna fucking yeah. text us. Yeah, you know what he you know what you know what he did tonight? Tonight he's listening to the last episode and he we mentioned that we didn't know what the tie company Oh yeah, the the tie label found yeah. in uh worsted mills or something. Yeah. We didn't know what the tie, what the tie company was doing now. Uh, he messaged me. The Thai company left the Thai business in 1955. It then entered real estate, product licensing, and cosmetic industries. I am confused, but also concerned for Seth. Yeah. If we are ever in need of a research intern, we will call him. <laughs> but I may request that he be medicated. That's yeah. and also, too much. Apparently, old manuscripts should be touched barehanded and not with gloves, as gloves tend to increase the risk of tears. Well. Yeah. Thanks, Seth. I wonder where he I wonder where he stands on tongs. Can you look at old books with tongs? Hmm. Uh, he actually he actually did add that information. You should have recently washed and dried dry hands as the preference. He also says well, I should tr- definitely not try to date the MTA. I mean, you've got an I could have told you yeah, don't don't date not even a train. You you don't want to date a train. You want to date a coordinated system of trains and buses in the New York metropolitan area. Or even not date. I'm open to anything. No, no, <laughs> no, no. We are walking everywhere in New York. It is. We will. I'm in East Harlem, and we will fucking walk to Brooklyn. It doesn't have to be romantic. I'm fine with physical. Oh dear God! <laughs> I asked you to do this podcast on purpose. Yeah. I sought you out for this. <laughs> this is my own doing. Yeah. You, you 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 make poor decisions. Um, I, I I didn't know how to bring this up with you, but uh, you you make questionable <laughs> life choices. That's true. I embrace that. You have you have questionable judgment. But yeah, so Bacolite is is used in brake pads and cars. It's used in ablative heat shields. Uh, The heat shields of Soviet ICBMs, I shit you not, were primarily made out of Bacolite and asbestos, uh, making the answer to the question probably no one has ever asked, could a normal everyday billiard ball survive atmospheric reentry? Quite possibly yes. 
<laughs> well, I know what I'm doing this weekend. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Except I live in New York, so I can't launch anything into space without immediately disappearing into a re-education camp. <laughs> the NSA will be on that. Chad from the M- NSA will want to talk. <laughs> Just like New York is kind of touchy about, you know, handling strangers' blood, they're also very touchy about unidentified objects in the sky. Uh, if you want to fire a billiard ball into space, I suggest moving to moving to a country with either better privacy laws or a more unstable government. I feel like Manitoba would let you do it. Oh yeah, Manitoba. They'd pay you to do it. They've you never seen probably... that exciting for a coon's age. You could, like, re-enter a billiard ball from space over, like, 95% of Manitoba and not hit anything. (laughs) You could do it in downtown Winnipeg and not hit anything. That's true. (laughs) What a sad place. What a sad, sad place. They were, uh, they were, they keep trading, trading off murder capital of Canada with, with Saskatoon, I think. I don't remember. Oh, and Edmonton. We're all fighting. Yeah, we're all, we're all fighting it out. The prairie provinces are right at the forum killing each other. <laughs> we are... Great. We are the shanking the shanking region of Canada. I like how we still pretend that this is an Edmonton-based podcast, although neither of us lives there and we haven't for quite some time. <laughs> I, I am still at my very heart... The Al- Alberta is a we for me. <laughs> it's the it's not, it's not the royal we. It's the Albertan we. <laughs> I actually I I frequently get confused about which like whether to use a collective pronoun or 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 a third person pronoun uh, on a variety of groups that I'm technically a part of. This is this is usually a problem when I'm like discussing things like autism in papers where I'm just like. They and then I'm like, wait, shouldn't that be we? I don't know. This is kind of weird. <laughs> I don't actually. This is know a which problem <laughs> that literally no one else thinks about, <laughs> but you. <laughs> you think about this more than like the rest of Canada combined. Oh, all the time. I'm probably the global leader in wondering whether or not I should say we or they when discussing autistic people. It's always just like. I don't know whether to disclose this or not. <laughs> I don't think we had disclosed this on the podcast yet, so surprise! Episode 23, <laughs> Jessica has autism. We took 23 episodes to disclose I, this, I'm, even though... I'm not sure if you've divined it from listening to me for well over 25 hours <laughs> hours at this point, but I'm fucking autistic. <laughs> yeah, it's like the first 90 things that come up if someone Googles you, but you know... <laughs> It's been an open secret. Uh, an open secret. If, it's the if you, socially awkward elephant in the room. If you ever looked up my name, if, if you ever looked at my at my Twitter profile, you would have found this out very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> eh, open secret. Open secret. Very, very Could have just secret. been the head injuries. Just frequent concussions. <laughs> Honestly, like half of my weirdness cannot be attributed to autism. <laughs> It's just sometimes people will like, oh, do you do that because you're autistic? And I'm like, maybe? Nah. Probably not. (laughs) Nah, it's because my mom fed me kerosene as a child and it just fucked me up a little. I'm not autistic. It's fine. I am and continue to be perfectly normal. (laughs) It's, I mean, I was raised by antelopes, but I think I turned out fine. Van Mechelen mixed bakelite in its liquid resin form into his paints, 
Then after finishing a painting, he would bake them from 100 to 120 degrees Celsius to artificially harden them. That's between 212 to 248 Fahrenheit for our friends in Liberia and Burma. No, no one else. No one else. <laughs> I can think of no one else who would need me to translate that into Fahrenheit. <laughs> <laughs> I still, I'm still not good at it. People are like, "It's 51 degrees outside. Better bring a coat." I'm like, "Why? We're all going to die of heat exhaustion." I was just thinking, of "Why do I need a coat for that?" Just having, having breakfast. <laughs> or people are like, "Oh my god, it's 30 degrees out. It's so cold." I'm like, "What's wrong with you? Are you were you raised on the sun? What is this?" <laughs> just, just the, the, the look of baffled confusion when they give you a number that they view as frigid it, like and, and you just go like oh so I should wear shorts today <laughs> on the flip side though I often like just will look up the temperature where my friends are and just sort of say it as making conversation I'm like oh shit it's minus 27 in Edmonton which is cold but I fail to say that it's Celsius mm. so they just assume that I'm from the planet hot <laughs> They're just deeply concerned that your friends are gonna die. Oh yeah, or that I don't have friends. I was just hallucinating in a frozen desert for years. <laughs> You've just been walking they the tundra me. all your life until you were accepted into a grad program in New York. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird how that happens. They just scoop you up. Yeah, it's an affirmative action thing. They just pluck you up from the tundra, and there you go. It's like the helicopter that scoops out the dead bodies in Hunger Games. It just it just comes and picks you up, and then it drops you in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 a strange it's a strange program that was that was started in the eighties and never reviewed. Catch and release. <laughs> the reason for this backlight hardening was to fool one of the primary forensic tests of the day, rubbing alcohol on the paint and then poking it with a hot needle, which would go right through new paint, but not any antique painting that was old as it claimed to be. That seems incredibly damaging. Oh, absolutely. I feel like we Who started don't... doing that? Yeah, who's like, I want to stab this with a hot needle and just see what's what's up. The past was horrifying. I mean, this isn't even that far back. Eh, no. Uh, he then rolled the hardened painting's canvases over a cylinder to exaggerate and increase the cl crackler pattern that would normally come with age. Next, he bathed the paintings in a wash of Black India ink that filled in the cracks in imitation of the dust and grime that accumulate over the course of centuries. He made several test forgeries that he never sold while perfecting this method. This guy, like, would have made so much money if meth was a thing? Oh yeah, he's the Walter White of his day. Absolutely. He is... He is, he's just, he's Walter White. He's the Walter White of the art forgery. He's got the chemistry down. <laughs> the first of his new forgeries Van Mechren sold was a mimicry of a Jan Vermeer called The Supper at, at a Mouse. Van Mechren is probably most famous for his fake Vermeers because he painted a lot of them. But that's not necessarily because he had a particular interest in the Janster. There's another plausible explanation for why so many of Van Mechren's work were imitations of Vermeer. Vermeer was, at the time, a recently rediscovered artist with only 36 surviving works. 
and the blank space in his artistic development was more than enough wiggle room for Van Mecheren to fabricate an early religious period heavily influenced by Italian works from the period of which Vermeer was believed to have studied in Italy, coincidentally excusing notable deviations from previously known works by Vermeer that skewed more towards Van Mecheren's own original style. I'm just still trying to get over the fact that you called him the Yanster back there. <laughs> Deal with it. Me and Yanny boy go way back. Oh, dear God. <laughs> the, the fan... Uh, the fan fam... The fan... It's okay. You're doing much better than I would have. I gave up literally the first time I heard this name. Dutch is hard. I have made zero attempts. I have... I have he's... Painty boy. Mm, painty boy. Painty boy. It's easier, isn't the it? The painty boy Vermeers all have strong differences from actual Vermeers, not to not the least of which is that all of the faces kind of look like Marlene Dietrich, the German actress. <laughs> is that like a comparison that you found in your notes, or did you just look at them and be like, no, like this yeah, you is know actually something that it was is discussed in in academic works on Van Mechelen. Aren't you mildly face blind? Oh, I'm extremely face blind. Now that we're outing all of your various neurological quirks, aren't you face blind? <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's like this. I'm extremely face blind to the point that like I have trouble recognizing my own mother. Uh, I was gonna say like you only recognize me by my gigantic hair and the fact that I'm shorter than everyone else. Yeah, it's funny because your like best friend in this entire world looks sort of like a default Sims character. Yeah, does though. But no, I, I often get really mad at my best friend whenever he changes coats because then I don't know what he looks like anymore and it just upsets me. <laughs> These are problems that other people do not have and cannot even fathom. I'm like a dog that meets your boyfriend with a beard for the first time. You know, it's just like, ah, oh, ah. Oh. <laughs> what is that? What is it? Your life is a terrifying void of faceless people. Some of which talk to you yeah. just... in a familiar manner. Oh yeah, there's just like, there are tons of people, strangers, who have found me oddly friendly. Because when when strangers come up to me and start talking, I just have to assume that they know me from somewhere. Because I am surrounded by faceless masks. masks. I, there, I, am, I am in a crowd of, of slender men. I just... Nobody looks like anything to me. <laughs> There's like this childhood book that I read that was like, Are You My Mother? Which is just... I think it's a baby duck oh, that yeah, just yeah. can't find its mom. So things like a series of construction equipment and other inanimate objects are its mother. I just imagine that that's you trying to locate your mother in the real world. <laughs> See, when I was a, when I was a kid, my mother would whistle for us in the store uh, in order to get us to. He, she trained us to come when she whistled. Anyway, just getting that. Just you're gonna make that comparison, so just getting that out of the way. But because your mother was an actual dog trainer. <laughs> Because you were raised by wolves. Uh, she also had a, a set of uh, complicated keychains that would jangle in a particular way that I usually used to recognize her. So whenever I, I hear people with very similarly jangling keys, I just like look up and expect to see my mom. <laughs> it is amazing that you have lived this long <laughs> without ever getting kidnapped. No, seriously, I used to, like, accidentally end up, like, following random employees with heavy keychains around the store. <laughs> you are a tragic duckling. <laughs> uh, 
I really, I really em- empathize with that book. It struck me right at my, right in my heart. <laughs> well, this has been a deeply personal episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Van Mecheren used a friend as a front for authenticating, then selling the supper at a mouse. The friend, an unknowing accomplice, uh, as he was under the impression that it was a true Famir. That's kind of a dick yeah, move. Yeah, kind of a dick move. Just find your most naive friend and just get him to set, like, to commit fraud for you. That's just gonna ruin you is, real that quick. That is bullshit. That's not. That is absolutely a violation of the bro code. <laughs> Uh, Van Mechren had this friend take the painting to Abraham Bradyush, the same expert who saw right through Van Mechren's previous forgeries. Bradyush declared it to be the genuine article and praised it highly. Bradyush, notably, had preconceived ideas that Vermeer must have had a missing religious period, and this painting flattered that theory. Oh, you poor dumb religious bastard. Exactly. A- after this painting was accepted, it became easier to create more similar paintings that would be likewise accepted as Fermier's because they would be compared to the existing accepting bod- accepted body of Fermier's work, which now contained these very forgeries. Poisoning oh, the good. well of knowledge. I like to imagine that Fermier did not have a religious period. He just went through his, like, Emo he just had a moody gothic, moody goth phase. <laughs> atheist phase where he just like railed against the existence of God and now he's associated with like nine hundred fake pictures of Jesus. Yeah, like there's a there's a there's an early version of Girl with a Pearl Earring that is just like her with white makeup and a, like <laughs> and a look of unimaginable sadness. Is that actually a Fermier? Yeah, it is. Oh, that's just literally the only painting I can name off the top of my head that's not a Van Gogh. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Girl with a Pearl Earring is is, is a Fermier. Look at that. Yeah. Accidental knowledge. Yay. Go me. Yeah, it's just it's I all thought I that can was surprisingly apt. I'm like, oh, yeah, Janelle's actually real. <laughs> Janelle's actually all, and I are on the same page for once. That's excellent. I feel like something deep in my brain knew it. But... Probably the fact that we I've actually read half of this thing to you before. Because... That's true. We had a recording mishap. This is a this is a take yeah. two. I mean, you don't remember any of it, but like maybe my voice is calling to you from the past. I don't remember the episode I posted six hours ago, and I edited it <laughs> all day. So yeah, we recorded it last week, and I got I listened to the first five minutes, and I was immediately surprised. My mind is not so much a sieve as it is just a funnel, just a large <laughs> hole at the bottom. Everything just goes straight out of. <laughs> Short-term memory is the only memory you have. Unless it's a report on horrific child abuse, it's it's not sticking yeah. around. That, that's probably the real reason why you're forgetting things. The threshold on how shocking has, something has to be to stick in your memory is just very high. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some of this is familiar. Mm. Some of this is familiar. Either so traumatizing it, 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 it paints itself against the back of my eyelids every time I close them, or it's not birth, birth worth bothering remembering. Is that not how other people sort short-term memories? Yeah, I don't know. Odd. I don't know how, I don't know how people remember everything. I mean, I can't even remember my <laughs> keys without, like, just really concentrating on the horrors of the Holodomor. And also, like, trying to pair bond with them, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Imprinting on them. Jangling keys remind me of a mother's touch. <laughs> That's upsetting. <laughs> so 
So the Rembrandt Society bought the paintings for uh, 520,000 guilder, which is approximately 5,735,000 US dollars today. It also had a place of honor in a special exhibit at a museum in Rotterdam alongside hundreds of genuine Dutch masterpieces from the 15th to the 18th century. So, like, he could have done this, like, three or four times and then stopped. Really? Oh, yeah. He was making enough money. Like, you can't spend this much money on opioids and survive. No. So. Oh, absolutely not. This is an insane amount of money. So he kind of, like, got all the money he needed the first couple times around, and then the rest was just, like, his ongoing vendetta against the art world. Well, see, you know, he he could have just, like, sold a couple, then, you know, like, hid away, yada, 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 or whatever. Or he could have just, like, this is the moment where he could have had his big reveal. Where he could have just walked up to all of them and said, Ha, got you. You, you experts. You critics, you don't know my true worth. You are so easily fooled by me. But instead, he immediately starts painting his next forgery. I was going to say, after one, you can kind of come out and make fun of people. But, like, after 90, like, yeah. you, just, you can't. There is, There's, there you, is a, you've gone too there far. There is a certain point where it's no longer, like, a fun prank. <laughs> There's a point of no return There is here, a point it's... of no return, and it's after you catch the check. He just went sailing past it whoosh <laughs> it's like if Usain Bolt instead of like stopping after the finish line just vaulted right into the audience <laughs> <laughs> just, just kept, kept running going. running running <laughs> oh god over the next few years Van Mecheren created several other forgeries many in the style of, of Fermier others in the style of artists such as Pieter de Hoch or as a handy pronunciation guide on YouTube helpfully, helpfully told me, Peter Da Hooch. <laughs> that sounds wrong. Yeah, that wrong. sounds very wrong. Also, like, <laughs> is, like, Hull's Cough Drops the number one food group in the Netherlands? Because all these things hurt. <laughs> like, you know, like, the average Dutch person, they, they don't die of cancer, they die of laryngitis. <laughs> yeah, it's like the number one health crisis facing the Dutch people is, like, sore throat. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like the sort of thing where, like, if you get really bad strep and you're Dutch, you just can't talk to anybody. You have to communicate entirely by blinking. <laughs> <laughs> just one name and you could just rupture yourself. <laughs> <laughs> just completely destroy your body. Yeah, you're gonna need to gargle with sherbet after this. <laughs> I'm, I'm already, I'm already having a rough time. I, I was too dedicated to, to, to my, to my craft. I, sh- I should have just given them Painty Boy <laughs> nicknames. That would have been much wiser. Are you suggesting that I'm gonna I be I'm going to be a shell of a human being. I'm going to be just wrecked. My throat is going to be a shadow of its former self. <laughs> what a tragedy. I won't be able to boom and be heard from like several halls away like I used to. <laughs> when I was like hanging out with groups of friends back in Edmonton, people gave directions like, oh, where is everybody? Oh yeah, just walk down the hall towards A wing and wait till you hear Jessica. <laughs> it's kind of true. Like I used to like step into the building where you lived, which was a kilometer long, <laughs> and I would set foot on the south end. You lived closer yeah, to the north it's, end. It's literally several blocks long. Yeah, and I just I just hear you. I'd be like, up, oh, up. Oh, Jessica's that's, home. That's Jessica. It was a strip mall. You literally lived in a strip mall. <laughs> 
an indoor strip mall and I would just hear you above the din of like dozens of students gagging down questionable oh, Chinese yeah. food. Middle of the day, there are literally hundreds of students in in, the, in this building all at the din of a of a food court at midday and people can hear me laughing from the other end of the building. <laughs> I've located you that way several times. You're just laughing at like an Angela Merkel sex joke and I can just find you from a kilometer away. Like some kind of fucking homing pigeon. I found you from separate buildings because the building you lived in was connected to um, the humanities building and I have found you. There's several doors in between. There's an airlock. And your voice conquers all. People were always very good at finding me. It was great for my social life. Of course, some <laughs> other people, including Seth, they would find me through hearing, and then they would see me, but because my face blindness is so bad, they would wave at me, and because I'm oblivious, because I'm autistic, I wouldn't notice, and then they just basically have to tackle me in order to get my attention. <laughs> it is truly incredible that you've survived yeah. this long. Seth just, like, sort of would sort of, like, walk beside me until I noticed. <laughs> You would be so incredibly easy mm. to kidnap. He would even, like, walk around me and just, like, push me in the direction that he wanted me to go like a sheepdog. This is doing nothing to alleviate my concerns that you were, in fact, raised by some sort of herd or pack animal. <laughs> I get startled when I see things in my peripheral vision. And then I just run. <laughs> Van Mecheren also divorced his second wife, Joanna, in December 19, 1943. This probably wasn't due to interpersonal issues or cheating like his first marriage. Oh, well, that changes everything. In all likelihood, it was a form of insurance against a total loss of assets by dividing their holdings between the two of them, a reaction to the mounting chaos and instability of World War II. So most people get married for financial reasons. Well, that's actually a very cynical thing to say, but you can get married for financial reasons, but sometimes you can get divorced for financial reasons. Marriage laws are complicated. So she was like, I'm cool with the fact that you are a serial cheating opioid addict, but I just can't bear to lose the thought of our retirement savings. He was very fond of her, and he always... Oh, she was yeah. the wife he liked. Oh, she, she was the one he liked. And he was very fond of her and always acted pr to protect her. There is no way that she did not know what was going on. But he always maintained that she did not know. <laughs> what's what's that, honey? I'm just I'm just examining this authentic Vermeer in the mm. garage. No need to come in here. I'm just I'm just. It just looks like I'm painting it, but I'm just what, dusting dear, it. What dear? That six years I, I I took off of off of other work to practice forgery. Oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. Why do I want the backlight? Never mind, honey. You get back in the kitchen. <laughs> I had a real great day teaching part-time at the local art college. I made half a million hmm. dollars. Hmm. Seems suspicious. Ladies and gentlemen, if your spouse comes home with half a million dollars from their job at the art college, uh, you're gonna want to get a lawyer. You're gonna want to retain somebody. <laughs> Except in modern days, it means that they sell meth to mm, art kids. That is very true. You're still going to want a lawyer. They sell PCP to art want a students. Different yeah, pro lawyer. probably. <laughs> Plan accordingly. Solid life yeah. advice. Uh, keep in mind, this is smack dab in the middle of World War II, over three years into the German occupation of the Netherlands. 
Something about the political situation spooked the Van Meherens, uh, sheltered as they were by their relative wealth and social status. I think it could have been the like encroaching Might have been the encroaching I think that could have been what spooked fascism. them. I never, maybe they just mm. hate Hugo Boss uniforms. Yeah, I don't maybe know. Maybe it was like the new music that was all the rays, or maybe it was the fact that like Coca Cola was no longer being sent overseas. Who, who knows? Who knows? One of those mm. things got them probably Fanta. Skittish. I blame Fanta. <laughs> uh, they God they stayed it, together Fanta. as a couple, the divorce being nothing more than a legal formality. Uh, and they were wealthy. Van Mechen made millions from this forgery scheme and amassed ludicrous amounts of real estate, jewelry, and art. Also booze, tobacco, and morphine sleeping pills, which eventually started to affect his health and the quality of his work. He started to get what? sloppy. Outrage. Luckily for him, however... <laughs> Experts to inspect his works and genuine fermiers to compare them to were in short supply due to the war. Many museums' collections were stored away for fear of them being damaged. So he was a basically able to sell these things with impunity. It's weird that art collector is not like one of the number one important professions mm, in wartime. Yeah, funny thing. Van Mechren does make it through the war unscathed, though with one minor hitch. See, after the war, when normal control of the Netherlands resumed and a great deal of the assets of former Nazi officials and Dutch collaborators had been seized, a great deal of stolen and appropriated Dutch cultural treasures were found among their possessions. It was entirely possible that many of these examples of Dutch cultural heritage might have also been acquired through legitimate, uncoerced legal transfers, which would have meant that at some point a Dutch person had to have knowingly and intentionally sold them to the Nazi occupiers. Which I assume is yeah, bad. This, according to the law, was treason, punishable by death. Oh, so very bad. How dare you sell us our fanciest arts to yeah, the Nazis? You, know, you can't sell Dutch cultural treasures to the Nazis, you collaborators. Uh, that seems reasonable, actually. This is just actually. as bad as murder. Uh, well, that seems less reasonable. Yeah, that's what's kind of like implied by like the fact that it's a ca- capital offense. Is like you're putting everything on the same plane here. It gets a little weird. Like, you really do, you need a harsher punishment for murder than you do for selling shit to bad guys. Okay, so we'll kill you for selling art to the Nazis, and then if you murder someone, we will just fling you into the sun. (laughs) That's why older societies did things like draw and quarter particularly egregious criminals. We just don't want to, we can't just kill you. We have to extra kill you. I feel like once cars were introduced, though, drawing drawing and quartering just became a huge pain yeah. in the ass. Cost a lot of gasoline. It's gonna make the streets all mm. slippery. Somebody's gonna lose control of their vehicle. We just we can't it's have just, it. It's it's 1940s cars were not meant to drive over street yeah. viscera. And, you know they just don't have the tread for it. It's like the difference between cobblestone and asphalt. Some of these work better for horses. Some of these work better for cars. And the, the speed you get for a car is really a trade-off with the mobility and dexterity of a horse. Yeah, nothing gets through, like, slippery human guts mm, like a horse nothing does. Nothing like a horse. Maybe a llama? I don't know. I've never tested this. <laughs> Drawing and quartering with llamas? No. Stepping over viscera with llamas. Although, that would be interesting, too. Well, there's your weekend planned. <laughs> Do not You've do not do told these me things. Not to get a I llama. cannot bail you out of. <laughs> is that an actual piece of advice I've had to give you? I'm sure it is. Yes. Yeah. It's like, look at the back catalog. You've told me not to get a llama. <laughs> well, I mean it, and no alpacas. I'm not letting that loophole stay open. <laughs> We're just gonna God have to do it. a list of all the things you've told me not to do. 
I've got mm. wall space. Let's do this. Uh, so, like, the thing I don't understand in this whole, like, art forgery thing is, like, did nobody question where he was getting these? Oh, he was never selling them himself. Oh, so you don't just excavate paintings from the ground. You don't just hit, like, a rich vein mm. of early Vermeer. Like, yeah. you have to yeah, find you, them you somewhere. You don't just, like, set up a derrick in your backyard and it starts shooting out famous masterworks. Not generally, as I understand art. I understand that art is not actually fished out of the ocean with Admittedly, nets. Admittedly, I am Albertan. As far as I'm aware, most valuable things are dug out of the earth, but I'm not under the impression paintings is one of those things. <laughs> I am just, just crude, crude oil. Mmm. Mm. But he was never selling these himself. He was selling them always through particular collaborators. Ah, so he brought his friends down with him. Not a good friend. Not a good pal. No, if you trick me into committing mm. treason, I'm um, gonna be a little mad. I'm going to discuss the exact people he used his 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 work through in a little bit. Oh, good. So investigators, when they found these items, would try to trace the path by which such art came into Nazi hands, not simply to return it to the person and institutions from which it had been stolen, if they hadn't, say, been grotesquely murdered in a concentration camp, as many were. I hate it when that happens. Yeah, that's a little, little awkward. awkward. You just don't need as much living room art once yeah, you've been murdered. Yeah, you know, like, dead people usually aren't super concerned about the fact that, like, all of their belongings were stolen by Nazis. Uh, because they're very dead. They are very dead. Yeah, there's really no way to make Holocaust-related theft no, funny. No, I could try, but I've been told. Oh, no. Uh, there's Actually, not a, no, there's you not haven't told me off for that yet. Go for it. Tell me off. Don't make Holocaust jokes. Ah! <laughs> there. One more for the there list. There we go. That's a base we've covered. But they also did this to find and catch these kinds of traitors and collaborators. Field Marshal Hermann Göring, commander-in-chief of the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force, and Hitler's second-in-command, fellow morphing addict and cautionary tale about the perils of peer pressure, was Ooh. a major... Cl- <laughs> See... And now, there I go, making a Holocaust joke. <laughs> that was, you lasted under 30 seconds. I didn't even make it a paragraph. Uh, he was a major collector of the cultural treasures of occupied nations. He apparently was equally spooked in 1943 and hid a great deal of his loot in an old abandoned salt mine in Austria for safekeeping. Which is just such a super villain thing to do. <laughs> I have like was never quite clear whether salt mines were a real thing or not because that was something my father said every time he left the house. I was <laughs> like, "Well, I'm off to the salt mines," <laughs> and that could easily just be a dad joke. He worked for a railroad. He did not in any way work for a salt mine. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I was never quite clear if it was like a dad joke or like if that's a real thing. That <laughs> this has been illuminating for me. Yeah, my father used to ask me every day why I had that funny look on my face. And then used to, like, intimate that it was the mailman's fault, so. <laughs> My father also used to say before he left the house that he was, uh, he would say, I'm off like a Jewish foreskin, but that feels like a thing that's not okay to say anymore. <laughs> I don't think it was ever okay to say. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. I think it's more not okay now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one to not pass down to the kids. When Allied forces went into the mine in 1945, lo and behold, they found an absolute trove of stolen and misappropriated art, which included a, a previously entirely unknown Vermeer, now known as Christ with the Adulteress. 
Oh. The unknown Bad Vermeer. Christ. Mm. Racy. <laughs> or just like a biblical reference. It's fine. Whatever. Well, I promise whatever. never to make noises in reference to Christianity. Except no, I don't. I'm going to do it again. You're going to do it I many times. I can't be stopped. I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> the unknown Vermeer was quickly linked to Alwa Madel. The former banker, current art dealer, and all-time grade-A piece of shit who sold it to Goering. It's notable to say here that Goering and Madel knew that the painting originated from Van Mechren, and the fellow who got it from him told them about the rumors that Van Mechren was a drunkard and that he had been all involved in selling fraudulent works to, the, to Americans prior to the war. Notably, though, none of them thought the work was a forgery. They had had it tested by what experts were willing to talk to them and were assured of its veracity. What they didn't understand was why Van Mechren wouldn't tell them the full story of where he got it, whether it was Jewish loot or what have you, and they refused to grant him full payment until he talked. If you're dumb enough to buy... A piece of art with unknown origin in the middle of a war. From a drunkard known for forgery? Yeah. It's sort of your own fault. I mean, this <laughs> just sounds like a tale of, like, a piece of fake art exchanging hands between three pieces of shit. Basically. So, <laughs> while they didn't think it was a fake, they knew something was up with the fact that he wouldn't give them a straight answer about where he got it. I like that they were willing to, like, they're not willing to buy a fake, but they are willing to buy something looted from a Jewish dead person. Yeah, there's 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 like like a practical interest here, but there's like there's no they have not a shred of moral decency. They have no conscience. Let's bleak. Uh very bleak. Goering nonetheless loved the painting, and it was displayed prominently at Karen Hall, Goering's personal residence, at least up until the moment he decided to hide it in a mine shaft. I'm gonna say it right now, you know. Goering may have been a high-ranking Nazi complicit in the worst genocide in the, of the 20th century and perhaps all of human history, but the man was an art lover. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. You know, they say if you love something, shove it down a salt mine shaft. <laughs> That's what my mother always used to say. <laughs> As an aside, if you're not familiar with Alwad Madel, and honestly, you have no real reason to be, he is just a justly obscure Nazi flunky and slime ball. I was gonna say my deepest shame. Mm. I don't. I don't know who this is. Uh, Madel was a German national who had long lived in Amsterdam and a close friend of several top Nazis who used his social position to ga obtain the seized property of arrested and deported Jewish families and to coerce and blackmail Jewish property owners, many of whom were former friends and associates, into selling him their possessions at a fraction of their actual value instead of turning them over to the Gestapo. So just a moral black hole of a person. An absolute, unremediated piece of human filth. <laughs> so a, just a gaping anus. Just a sore on Satan's dick. Excellent. Continuing. He did actually save some lives through lending protection to certain Jew specific Jewish persons through, through his influence if they were useful to him or because they were relatives of his Jewish wife, Dory, or very, very rarely with no ulterior motive that history can discern. But in general... Just occasionally. Just occasionally. In general, he only interceded if it benefited him personally which we know because there are several instances when he could have and just didn't, such as when two of his employees were deported to con the concentration camp where they died after Madel withdrew his protection. 
Ugh. Mr. Einhorn and Mr. Danzinger were Madel, uh, Madel's accountants and oversaw his illegal trades on the black market. He essentially let them die as a way of covering up his own illicit dealings after they served their usefulness. So with any luck, this man died when, like, several pianos were dropped on his head. Mm. If if we lived in a just world, he would have immediately, immediately spontaneously combusted. Just from the sheer petty evilness. Uh, mm. From Madel, the unknown Fermier was easily linked back to none other than Han van Meeren, who initially refused to tell them where he had acquired the painting, to the eyes of investigators, refusing to allow them to return the work to its original owner, and thereby acting in complicity with the Nazis. He was charged with aiding and abetting the enemy during a time of war which potentially carried the death penalty, and there was no way for him to dispute the major facts of the case. He had, in fact, sold the painting through a proxy to, a, to known Nazi collaborators. There was, however, one teensy little detail he could throw into question, leading to the, co to the cornerstone of his legal defense against the charge of treason, that he had not, in fact, sold the Nazi occupiers valuable Dutch cultural property, but rather that he had sold them a cheap knockoff he had painted himself, thereby admitting to a lucrative, years-long fraud at the highest levels of the art world. I mean, like, I don't excel at making decisions, but even I have enough forethought to realize that, like, pretending that an infinite number of unseen masterpieces fall out of your butt is probably not something you can sustain. Yeah, probably not sustainable. That's, that's going to have some repercussions. Particularly when you get caught selling them to Nazis. Someone's going to get curious about where these are coming from eventually. <laughs> Except they didn't. <laughs> Right up until the moment, like, there was potential war crimes involved. Thing was, they didn't necessarily believe him. Obviously not. <laughs> he might, might just be lying to save his own skin. An officer True. suggested that Van Meheren prove himself by drawing Christ and the adulteress from memory. But Van Meheren refused. Draw a copy? A simple, mindless duplicate? Never. Instead, God, court used to be so much more interesting. <laughs> instead, to prove his innocence, he not only revealed his methods, but at his trial, he painted a brand new fake Vermeer. Jesus among the doctors, over the course of six weeks, hooked up with a supply of booze and morphine in front of a room filled with court-appointed witnesses and reporters in a desperate attempt to prove his own guilt. God damn it. I'm going to spend probably most of my career working in and around courtrooms, and I will never, ever get to see a drugged-up alcoholic painting a goddamn Vermeer. <laughs> it is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'm, in fact, once in several lifetimes. I have never had to go to court so far, but um, I'm, I'm already angry. Yeah, I'm already disappointed by the glory that it could have been. The best possible moment of my career happened decades before I was born. Born in the wrong time. Born in the wrong time. <laughs> this is like the one time I'm sad I didn't live through live through Nazi occupa occupation of Europe. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty. It's a, not a not a common feeling. I don't normally wake up in the morning and go, God, you know, I was born in the wrong era. I just wish I lived in a time of nightmarish famine and bombings and fear. It's a rare mood. I hate that I have a Roomba. Uh, actually, I don't have a Roomba, but I could have a Roomba if I have money. I live in an era of self-driving cars and Roombas and 
my greatest concern is how many feet long my iPhone charger is so that I can charge it in bed. Yeah. Not good enough. I want to I want to see a man high off his ass paint an old Dutch masterpiece. <laughs> I want so little. Mm. And why won't the world give it to me? Life's unfair. <laughs> and it worked. At least it worked as well as it could have. The collaboration charges were dropped, and Van Mecheren was charged instead with fraud, effectively trading a possible death sentence for a possible two-year prison sentence. I mean, his math checks out. Yeah. Uh, you know, opportunity cost. Yeah. You know, it. It. I, I'm. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with with Painty Boy here. I'd take that harm. Yep. Yeah. That is. That is a reasonable trade. <laughs> <laughs> That is that is not exactly a limited edition foil Charizard for uh, for a Pikachu. That is that is that is reasonable. <laughs> uh, so Fan Mecheren was convicted of fraud and forgery uh, on November seventeenth, nineteen forty seven, to a minimum one year sentence. But before he was moved to prison, uh, Fan Mecheren suffered a pair of heart attacks. On the twenty sixth, yeah, on the twenty sixth and the thirtieth of November, respectively, dying only thirteen oh, days after his conviction. After oh, he died. He died after, oh, but not because of his death. His assets were ordered seized and used to reimburse the victims of his fraud. Though notably, the profits of his crimes transferred to his wife Joanna as part of their divorce went untouched. So really, the winner in all this is Joanna. Uh, Joanna did really well for herself. She got to walk away from this with all the money. Mm. Well, a lot of the money. Much of the money. Much of the money. Great. It was more used to her than it was to him. of money. <laughs> and she didn't even have to die. Yeah. Worked out I well mean, she did her. have she did have to die. She was a mortal woman. Yeah. I assume she's dead now. It's the condition we, we, that plagues all of she us. She isn't Loki the trickster god in, in mortal form here to seduce seduce mankind. <laughs> but she didn't have to die immediately. Yeah. But, like, not for a while, which is the best you can really hope for. God, being mortal is inherently terrible. Mm. Feel despair, listeners. Except if you're listening, Loki the Trickster God. Call me. What? I want to meet Loki the Trickster God. Don't you? I don't want to date I... him. My Your life decisions and my are love getting worse. Are only for the Transit Authority. Yeah, you are Transit yeah. Authority. Your life decisions are getting worse. <laughs> I am on a weekly basis. rapidly decaying. <laughs> so even after the trial, an academic named Jean uh, de Cohen argued for the legitimacy of some of Van Mechren's forgeries, despite that Van Mechren had confessed and publicly demonstrated his tricks, which makes a level of sense simply because the paintings were so good and Van Mechren's methods so beyond the normal established forensics of the day. And, I mean, he was a known liar. If it hadn't been for the fact that Goering was taken in by one of his fakes, he may have never been caught, and it may have taken decades after his death before the ruse was discovered. In the meantime, due to the spectacular nature of the story and the sensationalization of his trial, Van Meheren became famous as the man who fooled the Nazis, who swindled Goering. He quickly became something of a folk hero, a trickster figure who fooled all the experts and spat in the face of one of Europe's most hated men. Shit, I guess like it kind of is true. You have to artists have to die before they become famous. Yeah. Either that or they have to paint 
paint an entire Dutch masterpiece in a drug-fueled haze in the in front of court-appointed witnesses. <laughs> but he didn't even get to live to enjoy it. He had mm, to die. Lame. Although he was actually famous before he died. Well, that's kind of fun. Yeah. And he he got to keep both of his ears. Mm. So good by any stretch of the imagination for a artist in the past. <laughs> <laughs> he got money, as long he got as you to don't... enjoy the money, and he died before before being punished with both of his ears attached. Yeah, the other option is to eat several kilograms of toxic yellow paint and then slice off a piece of your face. Mm, fun stuff. And his fame had a sort of funny effect. It greatly increased the desirability and value of both his forgeries and his own original work. Jesus Among the hmm. Doctors, the fake Fermier, Van Mechren, painted in court to prove his innocence, sold for 3,000 guilder, equivalent to about 7,000 US dollars now, during the 1950 auction of Van Mechren's assets. These works appreciated in value to the extent that they are even, there even arose forgers of Han Van Mechren, one of the most notable which, of which was his son Jacques Van Mechren, who is broadly considered to have been less talented than his father. Oh, there were kids in all of this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Kids who God damn. learn by their father's example. <laughs> Hooray. Yeah, you can actually go on go on the internet and, like, search for, like, on eBay for a uh, Han van Mechren original, and there will be just be, like, dozens of forgeries of his work. <laughs> it's genuinely hilarious. I was, I was gonna say, he might be a little bit out of my price range for decorating my apartment, because my price range is, like... I watch TV on a shower curtain nailed to the wall. Yeah. So it's a little outside my range. Your price range is nothing. <laughs> but nothing if I cut a nothing. potato in half mm. and get a canvas from the dollar store, we could be in business. We are. We are. We're. We're. Now we're cooking with gasoline and or potatoes. <laughs> we actually have a gas stove. It's fun. If you lean on it, you can light yourself on fire. Oh man, um, that's that's so whimsical, man. Isn't it just? Accidental self-immolation. Yeah, the trendy Manhattan lifestyle. <laughs> Being on fire. There's a reason there's fire escapes everywhere. Because <laughs> you got to escape a lot of fire. Uh, <laughs> it's a regular part of life. So Han van Meerhan had a complex legacy. He was a loving father and a kind friend, but also a fraud whose motivations were complicated by greed and duplicity. In the end, eh. van Meerhan's gift to the world is that of doubt. I mean, there's worse people. Oh, obviously. Most of whom. Nazis come to mind. Nazis, notably. <laughs> Alwa, for one. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> so, as a send-off, I'm going to tell you guys a most likely apocryphal story. It's not necessarily true. I'm glad that you defined that. You're starting to realize that not everyone uses your fancy words. Not everyone knows the word apocryphal. I know but I still want to say it. Plebs uh, and sheep, all of them. Ah! <laughs> so a contemporary account has it that when Goering was told that his Fermier was a fake, he looked as if for the first time he discovered there was evil in the world. And I hope that's <laughs> true. If not, well, then it is perhaps fitting that we end the story of Han van Meeren with a lovely, lovely lie. You read that like an audiobook of a children's novel. <laughs> it just sounds like the nearest, the like of the Beatrice latest Potter, new. Call me. It does. It it sounds like a children's story, but in fact, it's just reflection on on a Nazi. Well, not 
necessarily. It's not about the Nazi. It's about the forger who tricked the Nazi and that Nazi's sadness. Yay! His glorious, glorious sadness. Well, this has been a morally ambiguous episode. You're welcome. Art forgery is lucrative and tricking selling Nazi, f- tricking Nazis will makes you a hero. <laughs> and I was say selling fake art to Nazis makes you a hero. That's that's complicated. There's a fun, lot there, but it will ruin your art. Well, I mean, in the bright side, we've never lived in a better period of history since World War II to sell art to Nazis. Mm, that is so true. Richard Spencer, we're coming for you. I'm going to take all your money. And give you something fake to hang in your bathroom. (laughs) You're welcome. That's the act of political subversion that will save America. (laughs) You're welcome, America. No need to thank us. No, there's really not. There's really, really not. Do not not give us credit for anything. We did nothing. We know nothing. We're just two idiots with a podcast. (laughs) Speaking of which, this has been Fat... French, French, and, and fabulous, fabulous. Your time is getting that. worse. What? <laughs> I will hurt you. Not physically, but emotionally. You can't hurt me. No one can hurt me anymore. Well, this has been a terrifying send-off. Bye. Hey, everybody! Turns out there are backlight billboards. Fuck you, Seth. I already looked it up. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider rating or reviewing us or recommending us to a friend who you think will enjoy the podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us or follow along with what we're doing in our everyday lives, you can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at FatFrenchFab. If you'd like to follow us individually, you can follow me at I Am Not Alone or Janelle at VeryBadLama. See you again next week.